It is a wonderful 4.30 a.m. on Monday morning, everyone. I'm so low because Frank is still sleeping. But I have a um, longtime friend that I've never met, so I guess it'd be an internet buddy, uh, Al Kidner from uh, Brisbane, Australia. And, uh, man, I appreciate you coming on. I think it's uh, tomorrow uh, in your neck of the woods already, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it probably just proves that Australia is a far better country and we're ahead a lot more than the, the U.S. might tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good thinking. You're at least yeah, uh, no. 20, 24 hours in style ahead of us or 14. Yeah, something like that. But, um, yeah, it, uh, I think that's yeah, something like 14 hours ahead of you, so that's correct, yeah. Gotcha. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, I, uh, I, I've um, talked off and on with you for quite a while now. You're a traditional archer, former military, uh, not afraid to grab a gun from time to time and uh, pretty fit. I was, uh, you know, no homo. I was like, honey, look at this guy. He's a good looking dude. How old are you now? Because you're still pretty shredded, I got to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm Oh shit! Uh, well, I'm forty. Yeah, forty-four this year. So seventy-five model. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, I like to like to keep fit. Bit of a back, obviously military background. So yeah, you know, eating healthy and, and keeping fit and all that sort of thing is yeah. Uh, no one likes a fat dude. I don't think too much. They eat too many too many things when you're in hunting camps. So. No, and when the zombies come, the fatties are the first to go. I watch Zombieland, so I don't want to be the first to go. So you gotta <laughs> gotta train. Yeah, you got you gotta train, you gotta outrun the zombies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So well we talked for about forty five minutes before we even started this thing, so we're gonna kick it off right into uh some hunting stories and probably see a lot of squirrels along the way. Oh, it's funny I brought up yeah. squirrels actually from a recent podcast of someone else's. But uh what um what uh, what were you you were talking about uh Africa an African hunt? What were you what were you talking about a minute ago? Yeah, well, just, you know, we were chatting about, you know, how humble a dickbow can be and, and all the rest of it. I was having a few wines with some mates of mine, and they're all shipping out to Africa in about 10 days, 10 days ahead. And, um, yeah, one too many wines, I guess. And, and my mate said to me, oh, you know, you should come with us. And my wife probably had way too many wines, and she agreed to it. So I held it. But, um, yeah, went to Africa for my third trip, and I, I went over there just with me bow and, and camera and just to enjoy no pressure on anything and I come back empty handed and it was a wasn't a sole hunting trip but it sort of emphasized on, you know, if you're gonna take up the stick bow or, or, or hunt, you know, in these faraway places, you know, be prepared to come back empty handed because that's just what can be delivered. Um, and it, as I said, mate, it wasn't like a full on everyday hunt, you know, like I was just helping me mate get his safari business off the ground and you know, half the mornings we'd just get up and have coffee and go for a drive and, you know, check areas and, and talk business and take photos and other guys were hunting sort of thing. But, um, yeah, the stick bow can, can humble anyone, as you would know. It, it can, and, and uh, I'm in a good position because, I you know, I can um, – I don't sleep much. I can practice quite a bit. I've got the clums uh, right down the road from me. Uh, I got a lot of time off, and uh, that, you know – that helps, obviously. I mean, you know, the more hunts you go on, the better. But, you know, if I only went on, you know, th three to four hunts or even when I worked construction, I, you know, I was able to hunt quite a bit. Um, surprisingly, never got fired. But it's a different um, uh, level where, you know, you talk about getting, I, you know, call it the struggle, struggle stick, the humble stick, whatever. You know, you mm. just need to be prepared to get your ass kicked and still 
remain mentally focused and you've done that shit way longer than you know than i have and it's just a fact and you got to make the best out of it um otherwise it'll get you down yeah and if you, if you focus on it and um it can you know just that negativity of you know you, you've got to let that pass i guess you got to put it that and go you know what a bad shot um i'm just not, not gonna you know focus on it too much and then roll on to another day, another day's hunting or, or whatever. And Because, yeah, we all have good days, bad days, whatever. Um, but I just I say that to a lot of guys that, you know, want to get into shooting stick bows and all the rest of it, and, you know, obviously giving a, you know, a lot of pointers in start low poundage and all that sort of thing. But I, I try and emphasize in amongst other key ingredients of being successful with a recurve or a longbow or, you know, um, you got, you got to practice. You got to put the time in. Your gear's got to be tuned, and it's it's not hard, but you just got to make it less sucky. I guess you got to you got to work at it. You know, it's just like going to the gym and, and lifting weights or running or whatever. If you want to do the Boston Marathon, Is that you or me? Uh, that's got to be you, man. Good lord, sorry, people. I have a train driving by. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Uh, you, you're you're right though. Um, you know, Lander was uh, Jeff Lander with Primitive Outfitting. He, I, we both hunted with him. He, you know, he told me he's like, man, you are only as good as your last shot, or as good as you are able to uh, deal with your last shot, because it can it can haunt you. And I'm glad I had him uh, along with others to, uh, you know, kind of prepare me for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then- the clums, they would have been well up with that. Like I can imagine, them, and I don't know them guys at all, but I just listen to them chat on other podcasts and following them on social media. Them guys, they don't they don't miss much, and they know what they're talking about. And it's uh, they would know that the downfalls, not the downfalls, but the lows of, of yeah shooting traditional gear. That's for sure. Yeah, I like I had we uh, were at a archery course yesterday, and we. Um, bumped into some some um like like followers they were kafaru guys and uh that yep. one guy had a just picked up uh, a longbow and um you know i watched him shoot and uh I, you know i told him i said you need to get your ass over to tom clum and i said it'll mm. greatly um enhance the fun level because uh you're kind of coll- you know i didn't want to go off like hey you said but you're you i was like you're kind of collapsing and you're you know your your form isn't great man and i said once you get a handle on that it'll you'll, it'll be more enjoyable um yeah and and there's there's actually a kid over in your neck of the woods um he's a he's a ginger what the hell is his name um he, he's kind he's of a, a shit talker uh spinks Oh yeah, Jack. Yep. Jack, yep. Jack, and and he kills a ton of stuff. But he, you know, had brought up at one point in time it was maybe they're him or Matt. Um, and I get along with all those guys about, uh, you know, kind of what Tom preaches with the as far as form. Uh, you know, I use a clicker, and I totally mm-hmm. get you don't want to be a slave to the clicker, and you want to be able to snap shoot. And I agree with what those guys were saying on that, but. In my limited experience, but being around so many archers, and I'd be curious to get your take on this, it's easy to, uh, if you learn it correctly, uh, to go to full, you know, expand fully and, um, cr- you know, operate correct back tension. It's easy to snap shoot when you need to, but if you snap shoot your whole life, it is very difficult to go the other direction. Um, that is, yeah. Now you hit the nail right on the head there. And, and like, 
my whole opinion in, in you know, <laughs> to go down the rabbit hole of snap shooting and quick drawing and all that sort of thing, it, I've never seen, I think you actually wrote it somewhere where I've never seen someone um, be very accurate in, in doing that because from the whole time I've seen people like snap shoot really quickly, they get shorter and shorter in their draw. And, you know, you just see their arrow get longer and longer on the front of their riser and then they're pulling through and then that, you know, it's just like shooting a rifle. Like you've got to aim first. You know, you don't, uh, how am I going to say this? You don't sort of pull a trigger on a rifle before you put it into your shoulder and you don't see Olympic archers do that. So why on earth, I don't know why on earth you have this traditional sort of bow hunting community that believe that you know, shooting quick like that is, is good. Yes, you need to be able to do that and at a time and place for that, like if you're shooting flu-flus in the air or, or roving targets or a quick shot at uh, rabbits shooting across the, the ground or something, but it's not that is not good form because it just leads to, like you said, collapsing and, and, you know, everything needs to be solid. It's just doing that whole quick snap shoot, yeah, it's good for in, in rare cases, but it's just not... Yeah, I've just seen it too many times on, on guys that are overbowed or poor form and they just spray arrows and not to, to get on the soapbox, but, you know, you'll hear guys say, oh, I'm an awesome shot on animals hunting, but, you know, a really poor shot on an archery range. No, that is bullshit. I call bullshit on that every day of the week because if you're a good shot on the archery range, you'll be a good shot out in the bush uh, on, on game or whatever. Yes, hunting skill aside, but a good shot's a good shot, regardless of whether you're shooting a round target, uh, a bit of foam, a 3D or whatever. That just highlights how bad your form or your practice really is if you haven't done it well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And generally when I hear people say that, I'm like, no, you're not a better shot on animals. You're probably just a really good hunter. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> Maybe yeah. yeah, you got mad stalking skills or, or you, you don't panic as much as maybe some other people. So you're equally as shitty. Uh, you're just, yeah. um, you're able to get closer maybe than it would, you know, you got a little more ice in your veins, but you're not any better of a shot. You're just probably a better hunter than, than others. And it never gets, I've never seen it get better with adrenaline in your system. You just, it's just no. hard in anything in life. Um, even you look at guys talking to chicks that aren't good at it. Adrenaline hits them, and then pretty soon they're saying dumb shit. And, you know, it's like, yeah. hey, dude, what happened to you? You're normally funny. You <laughs> fucked that up. Well, it's yeah. adrenaline, right? I mean, it's just how it works. It's as simple as even yeah. when talking to people. So, exactly right. And I don't know. I've, I've taught a number of people how to shoot bows, both online and, and in, you know, taught kids to shoot, taught my wife to shoot. Uh, yeah, a number of guys that come over from compounds over the years taught them all how to shoot, and I sort of aim at little goals each way and each way, and and tell them, you know, like some days you're going to have really sucky days, but let's just try and finish on a good arrow and have good form, and then put the bow away, you know, like you might have some days like you might go to the gym and you might be sore as all hell. You're not going to draw a recurve really well if you know all your upper body's stiff and sore. So you know, do a couple of good shots just to just to shoot and then go away and, and rest for a day, you know? It, um, yeah. Dude, I got a little snappy and I don't have target panic. And I, I say I'm, I've had it before. So I say I'm, it's impossible for me to get it, but that's because I know what well, my Randy cooling, uh, he has yelled at me before. Um, 
this is an explicit podcast, so I'll just give it an exact verbiage. He said, you need to slow the fuck down and s- stop shooting so many arrows. And which he's right, because I love to shoot and I shoot too much. And I don't mean shoot too much like uh, it's a, meaning a 200 good arrows in a day with good form is great. But if I'm shooting yes. 200 in a day and some of them aren't good, it'd be better to shoot 20 good ones. Exactly. Well, this weekend, um, I shot really well almost all of the time and some of the parts where they weren't the almost not so good I got a little ginchy and so I told my wife I'm like do not let me go to the 3d course go anywhere other than the garage and blind bail shoot this week and she's like uh-huh yeah. and I'm like I'm not shitting you I, <laughs> I've got to get a handle on this to where I'm yeah. really focusing on each shot and being very diligent um yep. you know on shooting and when I when I do that's the thing when you do everything right and you're and you're laying them in there and then you get one in the neck, well I mm. mean not to copy the Iron Mind of Joel Turner thing but it is your mind went to shit and I don't like that so I I, I got to get to I I don't want that to, to fall into that trap and so I'm gonna hide in the garage all week and shoot it like you know ten feet. <laughs> and at least at least you have the the mental capacity and I guess the training behind that or, or the coaching I should say that where someone's got a hold of you I dare say Tom and and said you know when you feel that form start to crack or, or you know shaky then you you go back and, and you, you concentrate on that close in work and, and working everything out and making sure that your technique's right and you're concentrating on everything. That that is key rather than trying to shoot through it because no way you're going to shoot through it. It's like you know a, a boat that's got a hole in the bottom of it. You can keep bailing that bastard, but it ain't going to empty out real quick. Yeah, and believe it or not, that's one thing Tom didn't teach me. That was from like the compound days and having a target panic with a compound at one point. That's yep, where I yep. learned that, and I I transferred over to you know with the stick bow. Like I know. Okay, I'm going to shoot blind bail in the garage, and occasionally I'm going to step out and I'm going to shoot one arrow at 40 mm-hmm. and make sure I've transferred everything over to that shot. And then I'm going to go back in the garage, and instead of shooting, you know, 200 arrows in an hour, I'm going to shoot 20 arrows uh, in 20 hours. You know what I mean? Over the course of time and just make sure they're all good. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I, I don't think, and I can't really say I've seen anyone shoot. Not that I hang out with compound guys, and again, nothing bashing compounds, but I've never really heard of anyone having target panic with a compound. That's a that's a strange breed of cat, mate. How did you infect yourself with that? Oh, believe me, it's bad. It's as bad as with a <laughs> stick bow. Um, really? Okay. It's just not as noticeable because there's draw stops. Where you see it with a, a stick bow is generally collapsing from what I've seen, yeah. you know, and, and obviously plucking the string where... With a compound, yep. you usually, you've got those draw stops, but what happens is you're smacking the shit out of the trigger, which, I mean, you've uh, been on the rifle range enough. Yep. Um, if you watch somebody, like if you take the bullet out and they don't know, and they fire off around and, and they look like they had a seizure when they hit the trigger. Um, yes. Same same principle with a compound. Film somebody slow-mo and they're Pearl Harbor and the shit out of that trigger. Um you know, or they can't, they're not capable of letting down the bow and just saying, hey, this isn't a good shot, letting, that just holding low, there's all kinds of issues. It's just more pre- prevalent or, or in your face with a stick bow. Um, yeah, it is. And I think the stick bow would highlight it more than a compound, I guess. You could probably hide behind a little bit with a compound. Oh, um, sweet Jesus. It's horrible with a stick bow on film. 
you can still look like you sort of know what you're doing, screwing up with a compound on film. Yeah. Not so much with the old stick bow. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I ever suffered from that like bad target panic. I went through a stage for a while where I would do, I, I would call it snap shooting where I would draw, pull through my anchor and then my accuracy was okay. I was shooting a lot of arrows a day, but I just, I just didn't like it. Trying to break the habit, but I couldn't. And what analogy that really worked with me, Danny Sturgis, uh, he wrote an article for Traditional Bowhunter oh, four or five years ago now, maybe longer, where he had the same issue and he looked at the back of his riser or his watch band um, as he was drawing the bow. So he'd pick a spot on the target. Then he would look at the, his like the back of the riser, draw, anchor, and then look back on the target again and it that analogy worked for me spot on. It's like someone, it was a light bulb moment for me. So it slowed me right down. I looked at my watch, anchored. Then I looked back on the target where I wanted to shoot and released. And yeah, the rest is history. And so that slowed me right down heaps. Uh, and that's exactly what I wanted to get. I achieved that. And um, yeah, and I, I still have to work on that, of course, like anything. Um, but yeah, that for me, that worked. Um, but I have seen guys really bad with target paint where... If you ask them to hold a full draw and put their wife or their dog in front of them, they'd shoot that poor person. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, yeah, and that that's kind of the same with the, the compound. You can get people where they cannot aim at anything without hitting the trigger at a dangerous level. Um, wow. And uh, that's, you know, when I talked about getting flinchy, that was the thing, like, I had had uh, – and it's not that, you know, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's worse than it is for me. It's just I know mentally there was two arrows out of however many hundreds I shot that in my brain said let down and I didn't. And, yeah, yeah. and and that pisses me off to where I'm like, all right, yeah, I never have that issue or next to never. And so, you know, and I still hit the target, but I was like, what the, what am I doing? Like, Jesus, <laughs> Snyder, calm down. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I'll just. Well, yeah, and it's like, for fuck's sake, man, it's an arrow. Let it down. It's You know what I mean? I'm not, you know, firing some, you know, it's not saving anyone's life where I got to let it go. It's like, let it down and draw back again. So, um, I, and, and for me, I, I'm I'm super anal and diligent on that shit. So it's like, okay, it's not like, my fat ass needs to be doing more cardio instead of shooting is really part of the problem too. So I'll shoot in a garage and do cardio rather than flinging arrows out at the course for the week and get get a handle on it. <laughs> Lay away from the donuts, mate. That always helps. Oh man, I tell you, it's uh, I got on test replacement therapy like I don't know six eight months ago, and I really haven't gained fat. But man, I've put on about eighteen pounds, and I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, how old are you, Aaron? Forty two. Yeah. Right. Okay. And uh, it's been good. I've had a lot of uh, head injuries, and I I had done um, steroids in the past. I don't know whatever you know, kind of. My, my testosterone levels weren't like bottom of the barrel low, but low enough to where obviously they had me um, get on it. And I, I'm glad I did. I, I I think it's almost like not that I'm a religious person, but like people find religion and they hop on the soapbox and tell anybody that'll listen. Um, yeah. Man, pretty much anybody over 40, I'm like, dude, go get checked. Cause it, yeah, I've been meaning to look into myself because obviously, you know, at our, our age, I'll, I'll jump us in the same boat. But um, yeah, obviously that's it's waning. That's just human human body. Exactly. And I was like, well, 
I might as well see where I'm at. And then yep. I got on it and I'm like, good God, this is awesome. And it's not that it doesn't make you freaking superhuman. You just feel better. You know, it's not like yeah. I yeah. went from bench pressing 250 to 450 or anything. It just literally, I'm not as tired and I'm more um, ambitious, I guess. Like I'm more, uh, you know, there's some days at three in the afternoon, it would have taken a modern miracle for me to clean the garage. Where now I'm like, oh, I'm going to flush some arrows, clean the garage, I'll shovel snow. You know, I, I'm just more motivated. What, uh, how about your recovery, that, like from fitness-wise? You know, I didn't really have too much of an issue with recovery before. So I, one of the things I'd hoped it would um, help with, um, and I, I'm going to actually kind of chalk this up to nutrition, and that's what yeah. the, the, the people at the clinic I went to said was, I, I eat. Well, I, you know, this is all my wife, but I mean, we eat pretty much all organic minus an occasional cookie. Um, I'm not a donut guy, but I like the shit out of a chocolate chip cookie. So we eat pretty healthy. And <laughs> that is, um, they said a huge part of that recovery where it's not bugging me as much. But I will say yeah. um, it certainly is better than it was. And it was real good before. And so, yeah, okay. but, you know, it's good, especially... Like you said, the bad days, the really heavy ones, yeah. where I yeah. might have felt it for three or four days, like on a heavy, heavy pack out or a heavy, heavy lifting day. Um, it's kind of like the next morning, I'm a little stiff and then I'm good. Yeah, right, right. I, I find myself at 44, like just slowing down. And yeah, I'm training and, and lifting and running and all that sort of thing, doing workouts. And yeah, it, I notice it myself, I'm like, geez, it's... Uh, I felt that workout, whatever, and I know a couple of years previously I would have bounced up the next day and been fine, but it sort of slowed me down with age, and I guess that's just part of life. But um, I'll have to look. What about going to get my test checked? Yeah, for sure. Now it's been it's been good, but I've put on oh they say I lost a pound of fat and put on a I don't know fourteen or sixteen pounds of of, well, not fat, whatever that is. That could be water weight some too. Obviously I didn't put on that much muscle in that period of time, but, um, mm. I've definitely bulked up some, uh, which I really don't care, you know, bulk up skin. Well, as long as I'm not sucking, you know, hind titty on the mountain, that's really my, my main priority mm. is, especially when doing the back to back to back backpack hunts. I really just want to be, um, uh, yeah, I don't want to look at a mountain and think, Jesus, I got to climb that. You know, I don't want to ever have to worry about that because of my physical ability. Uh, yeah. So, and, and it, we'll see. I mean, I would imagine once scouting season starts, if it ever stops snowing, um, I'm going to drop probably 10 to 12 pounds pretty quickly just for the fact I can't bring enough food anyway from doing that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What what altitude do you live at? Oh, 8600, 8200, something like that. Um, it's around 8,000 feet. Yeah, right. Okay, so straight away your fitness level is a little bit higher because I'm I live at about 200 feet. So um, it uh, yeah, your fitness level would be just that edge a bit higher. I'd actually read somewhere because I've been to Colorado back in 2009, but I'd read somewhere per capita the residents of Colorado were more fitter than anywhere else in America. I don't know how that true that is. But. Um, I tell you what, if you want to feel like a pussy, backpack into the wilderness somewhere in a heavily populated area and pretty much sure as the sun will rise, you're going to have someone run past you eight, nine miles in with a camel back on yeah, right. and a smile. And, and more than most likely, 
there will be several women involved beating the shit out of you. So yeah, there's some fit, <laughs> fit people here, um, which is has, cool. Well, sorry, mate. I think that has to do with obviously the altitude, the height, and then you know your lung capacity and all that sort of thing. Uh, but just there's so much. I think they broke it up into you know like in the winter time, these guys are skiing, and then you know one when when your winter's gone, you, you're looking at all your outdoor activities and sports and whatever, and then you, you're rolling into your hunting seasons and those sorts of things. So for a whole year, you've got a, you know, something sort of planned. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, that's just what I read. Yeah. Could no, be all I, bullshit. no, no, it's, it's pretty, um, pretty spot on. Um, you don't, you know, you go down, I mean, before anybody from Alabama or Georgia yells at me after this, <laughs> I love hunting down there, but you go down there, it's all deep fried, um, which is hard for me to say no to, I will say, but not real healthy. It's hot. You know, you're not, not a lot of places to do fitness, cardio fitness, you know, and then, you know, you, you, um, you come here and there's certain, um, you, like everybody is very, uh, not everybody, but there's a lot of very diet conscientious people. And so there's a lot more health food stores. There's a lot, not just like grocery stores, because you've got Whole Foods and, and like Vitamin Cottage or Natural Grocers and Sprouts, but you also have fast food that is healthy. I, I And I hate to say fast food, but places you can stop and eat quickly that is extremely healthy. And that's hard to find in a lot of the places in the world. Yeah, more of a healthy option, you're kind of saying. Yeah, that, and that's like when I was in Colorado, it's, yeah, they just seemed to be a bit more of a, I don't know, outdoors community there, I guess, and such a beautiful place. I mean, yeah, why would you want to be in the outdoors there? Oh, yeah. You ask for balsamic vinaigrette down south, they might smack the shit out of you. It's ranch dressing. <laughs> That's all they got. Like, do you have any salad? What, what's your salad dressing? Ranch? I'm like, oh, I guess I'll have ranch dressing on my salad then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. the, um, the what uh you on on the 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 bow hunting side of things you you recently you you just went from you were shooting a, a widow and you went to a stalker recently didn't you? Yeah, yeah, mate. I I was a widow guy for years and years. I've probably owned five five or six. I still got one now that I'm really attached to, and yeah, I won't part with it at all. Um, but I met South when he come down here. Off our, we got a pretty big expo that we have every two years down here. Uh, he brought a, a suitcase full of bows, and, and his lovely wife attended as well. And met him there and, and chatted away. And I had sort of planned to, to order a bow of him, just looking at you know his obviously his Instagram feed and, and his catalogue that come along with the traditional bow and a mag. Um, but yeah. Met South, immediately liked the guy, liked what he stood for. Um, he'd done a good price on the, like a show special on all his bows. Um, and, yeah, chatted to him and we, we nutted out the, the – it's actually hanging behind me here in my workshop, but uh, it's a coyote with the longbow lens on it, and I, I love it. it. It shoots better than what I do, so um, I actually got to get a lighter set of limbs because – yeah, I'm all right when it's warm, and obviously I live in a warm part of the world. But and this is—it's a 64-inch, uh, sorry, 64-pound bow. Uh, when I, I I got found out when I went to New Zealand and Stewart Island, and nearly uh, froze my ass off in a tree stand over there, um, which is Stewart Island's in the bottom of New Zealand, and uh, it was pretty cold the whole time we we're there. And I, I was in this tree stand, and 
I thought, geez, I better draw this bow just to make sure, you know, the shooting lanes and all that. Well, it, it dead said, like, I was pulling 100 pounds. I, I struggled and, you know, I'm a fit guy and like to keep fit and shot high poundages my whole life. But that cold weather just sapped any strength I had. So I got to talk to South and get a, a 55-pound set of limbs, I think, just for – because I'm only shooting whitetails when I go back there next year. So. Now, somebody was telling me, is there penguins on the south side of Australia? The southern side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got, I'm not from down south, but there's penguins definitely down in the southern part of, yeah, down in Melbourne where Rob Herbert lives, your, your knife maker for Kafari. Um, so, yeah, Rob's probably got a couple of penguins hidden away in his workshop knowing him. But <laughs> <laughs> he's, funny, he's funny. He's messy. He messages me. We message back and forth every morning. He, uh, the one day uh, I was bitching about the snow and then he, photographed the uh thermometer and it was like 112 fahrenheit and then yeah, he yeah. had a video of this fan he's like me lovely wife uh got me this fan it doesn't really do fuck all but it makes me feel better about myself <laughs> <laughs> he was just pissing sweat <laughs> but he's just so- like he's a solid he dude yeah <laughs> he's a good lad I, I got a lot of time for rob knows what he's doing to make a good night but yeah he uh he lives I was only down there, and I was down at his place in November, and we went to this local oh, tavern slash pub beside the, or oh, not far from where he lives. And Dad said it was freezing, freaking cold. And I said to him, you know, what's where, where does this sort of go? And he goes, oh, Antarctica. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, there'd be penguins and all that. There's, they got them in the zoos and, and whatnot down in Melbourne and and. And the aquariums down there, it's not uncommon to see them down that way. Even at where I live at Queensland, they've got penguins in there, or little little fellas. I don't know what, what sort they are. I'm not a penguin guy. But I know they've got them at SeaWorld here, which, yeah, well, probably vegans are screaming now about it, but um, free the penguins or something. I watched Happy Feet. That's about as uh, close to uh, penguins as I got um, with my daughter. Uh, and you probably you might – Happy Feet. <laughs> it's like a penguin movie. You can't yeah, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I did. He when, couldn't sing. He could only dance. Zealand, <laughs> <laughs> when we were in New Zealand, we actually seen a heap of penguins and, and sea lions and whatever. They were yeah coming up quite often, so um, it was quite interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. Um, I uh, the over because you've have you? St- I mean, I know you you're not afraid to uh, to grab a gun from time to time either. But you've um, which is kind of where I've. Not to change gears too much, but, um, you know, I've kind of, because people ask if I would ever pick up a compound again because I shot one for so long. But, you know, I'm kind of to the point, like, if I go um, on, uh, oh, yeah, whatever, some hunt that um, I can't uh, probably afford again or, you know, what whatever the case may be, I'm not so diehard, and I never have mm. been, so diehard bow. I mean, I've only shot probably two animals or maybe three in the last 20 some years with a gun, but I'll just, I would at this point much prefer on the last day to grab a gun. Um, and, uh, and, and, and take the animal than I would, um, you know, shoot a compound. Not that I, I mean, I'm not dissing on compounds. It's just like, yeah, I mean, if I'm on a hunt and I, I really want the animal or, or in case like with Lander with the moose, I really wanted the meat. Um, and I wanted to not suffer anymore, to be quite honest with you, because it was snowing and raining. Uh, I just grabbed a gun, and I don't mind doing that. But 
Do you, is that kind of how you roll, or do you just sometimes go yeah. hunting with a gun? No, no, I, I've got um, a couple of couple of good rifles here. Um, one is actually made in in Montana, Cooper Firearms. That's my wife's bolt gun, and then I've got a Remington 700 as well that I'm building up at the moment. It's just still in the gun safe. I haven't done much to it, but um, yeah. I'm the same. Like as much as I, I, I really admire compounds and, and how accurate they are, and, and the, the engineering marvel of them. They're a great thing, but I could just never pick one up. They just don't appeal to me, you know. Like it's just again, some guys like Fords, some guys like you know whatever car, but they just compound doesn't appeal to me. Like if I had an injury and I had to go to a comp, then I probably would. Um, but yeah, I, I more rifles is more of just. And, and this probably stems from my youth and then all my military service as well and then contracting over in the Middle East. Um, I spent a lot of time in my life with a firearm in my hand, so, you know, weapon handling is second nature to me anyway. So, And I just sort of look at them like that. It's not really hunting. Um, it's more just putting meat on the table or, or doing a, a job as such. Like, I, I love a good firearm. I love a nice bolt gun or when I was in Africa, a good my good mate, the, the PH over there, he's he's got a, a 500 nitro, um, and he's he's hunted everything and and you know dispatched everything up to elephants with that for the government and and whatever. And I can appreciate a nice, well-made rifle and all the rest of it. But when I was last in Africa, I shot a couple of animals there just for the meat, just for the camp. Um, when the other guys were out hunting, and I just went and shot a couple of animals just again for the meat, for the trackers and and whatnot. So the camp. We had camp meat, so and it was just a tool, you know. And um, I just asked what the zero was, and out we went. And I didn't even take a photo of it, you know. This was, I think, I actually, you know, I tell a fib, I did take a photo and just sent it to my wife, but um, it wasn't something that, you know, is, is me sort of thing. But again, I, I know a lot of lads that um, used to earn their living with bolt guns, and you know, um, yeah, they they know way more than what I do about it. I'd say I'm, I've got moderate knowledge on on shooting stuff but um yeah i'll always have rifles just because they're a tool and an asset to own but they're not my first love archery will always be my first love but i'm a, again what you said about if you if i was to go on a hunt like for me a once in a lifetime hunt for like mountain goat or something like that it would be a hard yeah hard choice to say well, well do i you know take my rifle over or, or do i take you know new, new longbow from south cox yeah, and I think one thing that's nice is um, over here, like uh, you know, the the the, the guides have a gun um, on most of those hunts. So um, yeah, and for the most part, uh, even though people get pissed when I tell them this because it's the you know just straight honest truth. If you bring a a bow and a gun on a once in a lifetime hunt, you might as well bring the bow because you're probably going to shoot it with a gun. Um, mm. I um I that's what I found anyway. You know, for the most part, but. Uh, and that's that's an ethics thing that that person that like they got they're, if they're paying for the hunt and they they don't have to justify that to anyone I guess at the end of the day it's their decision it's their animal they're paying for it they're going to get it mounted they're going to do the hunt and spend the time in the mountains so if it sits squarely on them and I've got a little story in a minute we can get onto but um, at the end of the day it's their decision so yeah it's uh, but <laughs> it's their ethics like we all have as long as you're not breaking the law. We'll, you know, if you want to hunt with a blowgun, by all means, it, um, but if that's your thing, that's your thing. Yeah, I mean, both situations with me, Lander told me they're going to ban um, 
you know, because I was just going to keep coming back till I got a, a grizzly with a bow. And he told me, hey, they're going to uh, ban this shit, man. If you know, on the last night, he said, if you get one in front of you, you might want to really, you know, consider taking it with a gun. And uh, it took about 15 seconds at a consideration as the sun is <laughs> going down on the mountain. And I grabbed the whatever the hell it was, 308 or whatever's laying there beside me. But, um, the, you know, the, the moose was a good example of, um, I had a, a couple more days left, but I really wanted to get to Alberta for mule deer. And, and with that one, it was a big moose. Uh, but two, you know, we drove a, a trailer up there and to, to bring it back. And, you know, to the point now, my, my wife wants me to go kill one every year cause it tastes so damn good. And, uh, you know, I was able to get 500 and I don't know, 80 pounds of meat, whatever it was out of it. And and that was a big decision because, uh, you know, I was going to shoot like a little bullwinkle uh, for two reasons. One, I wanted the meat and two, I wanted to get the freak out of there because I was tired of freezing. Um, but, you know, if you would have put good weather in the mix, I probably would have, you know, being honest, I would have probably stuck it out with the bow even longer. Um but you add, you know, 28 to 38 degree temps and rain and snow for multiple days. Uh, yeah, I was ready to get the hell out of there. Um, I That's was hot on morale. Oh, it shits on morale faster than almost sleep and food deprivation. Um, although you combine all of those and you really go home early. But yeah, I was um, ready to get the hell out of there. <laughs> so. Yeah. It- and like this, that whole situation we're talking to happened to me on my second trip to Africa. I went over there. My wife and I were married there, and um, we spent the seven days hunting or eight days hunting, whatever it was. And it was the last last hunting day, and we were, we were sitting there in camp, and we, the conversation was just around kudu and, and and whatnot. And the pH at the time there, really good guy. He said he knew of a because we didn't see many kudu there and they, they had trouble with disease and whatnot. He says, I, I do know where one sort of generally hangs out. We should go and have a look for him, the Sabi. And I said, oh, yeah, if you want, you know, I'll, I'll take my camera. And because we'd already ra- racked up a few bills, more so my wife, with, with her shooting and, and me watching. But um, so we went out and lo and behold, we found this big kudu bull and it was right on last light. And uh, he was like, wasn't big as in like long cootie but he was really wide and those wide cootie balls they look really impressive and you know it was just a, a great moment and we're sitting in the back of the land cruiser and i think we ranged him at 130 or 140 meters had the rifle there and the ph said al if you want him you better take him now you know he's not going to stay there long and he was watching us and we were watching him and and it just for me and i wrote about this in, a, in one of our local magazines um it just didn't suit me personally. Like, that's not how I wanted to take my kudu bull. Like, as much as I, he was a stunning animal, I, he'd look amazing on the wall, and I, I wouldn't want the taxidermy bill, but I'll have to pay it one day if I want one. But it just wasn't how I wanted to kill my kudu. You know, I, if I, you know, if I can set it all up myself, I'd want to be spot and stalk and, you know, earn my animal as such and uh yeah that, i just didn't want to shoot him from the back of a land cruiser on the last day just uh, there i sat so the ph can get another good tip and and they get to, uh, to sell me a two thousand dollar animal or something you know so i had to and that was a hard call to make and my wife looked at me and she said you know you can do it if you want but it just again personally just didn't sit well with me to to go and, and shoot him just again i just didn't i think i would have not done the animal justice or a service to him as 
as magnificent as he was, you know, standing there in that sunset. And I'm just going to plug him away, sitting in the back of the land cruiser. It just didn't feel right to me. It wasn't hunting. So. Yeah, yeah, no, you're. I I agree. Um, you know, I think, uh, and we talked about this a minute ago, but uh, people need to kind of accept the fact that, um, you know, sometimes you may not. It, there's a lot of. Well, partly caused by me because I cause it, call it a struggle stick, but there's controversy, humble stick, or obviously a, a traditional weapon can be extremely effective and deadly. Um, but there's a matter of just just range. You know, you, it doesn't have the range that maybe a, a compound would have in some guy's hand, just like a compound doesn't have the range of a rifle. Um, and you're going to have to be, you know, ready to go home empty-handed if you really you know, stick with it sometime. But I, I will say that um, it's not so unattainable that, well, <laughs> I just, Spinks posted something the other day about the struggle stick. I laughed my ass off because uh, he needs to get out of his front yard and go travel the world because it's real easy to <laughs> shout out yeah. how easy it is when you guys don't have to even buy tags and you got a year-round season. Well, yeah, that's go, right. Go yeah. pay $750 for a elk tag there, Spinksy, on a heavily hunted you know, public <laughs> land, do-it-yourself yeah. tag and scream out to the clouds that it's real easy. I mean, I don't know where he hunts, and he seems like a good enough guy, but it, it's kind of all relative. And, and when you hunt over here in the States, um, you know, and you've got, yeah, you know, a lot of hunting pressure. Yeah, a lot of hunting pressure, and, you, you know, you may only have a week because of your, um, you know, you drove out from, uh, you know, the Midwest or whatever back east. and. No. Then you got the seasons. Yeah, yeah. You, you only have, um, you know, 30 days. And of that, you probably can only take a week off because you're driving out. It, it is a commitment for, for guys. Whether you call it a humble stick or a struggle stick or a deadly stick, it doesn't really matter. It, it It's really just um, a, a, a sheer numbers thing. I mean, you got seven days and you've cut your effective distance down by less than half. Um, yeah. You know, it's and daunting not, for some people. Well, Exactly, and if you're not finding the animals, like I, yeah, uh, I hunted Colorado back in 2009, and I was lucky enough. I was in a good area, uh, I think, over near Granby. It was. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah, Granby. Yep. So I was hunting over there. Lucky enough, uh, met a guy online on a website, and he, he said if you can come over. There's a spot here for you, um, and I grew up with horses, so I'd help him wrangle the horses and, and you know help with the pack saddles and all that sort of thing. And um, yeah, four of us rode in with four other pack horses into some wilderness area. I think I'm still sworn to secrecy on that, but uh, um, and as he said to me, and he was quite profound when he said, "Like elk, elk, 365 days a year. I'm a greenhorn elk hunter for the next 12 days." So good luck with that. Um, and, and I traveled three quarters away around the world to do it. Never seen an elk in my life till I drove, you know, rode in there. Yeah. So, How'd that go? How'd that hunt go? It was like an amazing time. I seen moose when we we're going in there. Um, seen yeah, bear, black bear, um, mule deer, shit ton of squirrels. Um, didn't kill any. That's probably good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go the season for it or something. Funny you bring that up. Son of a bitch. <laughs> the, uh, we, I hunted hard like a fair amount of time, and the guys I was with were a little bit older than me. Um, they're all doctors, believe it or not. And 
yeah, bless them, but they were the most unfit guys I'd ever seen for doctors. So maybe practice what you preach, guys. But yeah, John was his name. Great guy, still contacting here and there. Um, but uh, so we seen. Cut a long story short, mate, seen this massive bull, and John had hunted elk for the last 14 years in a row, so he, he knew elk, and he had this spot, really good spot that we went to, but we'd seen this bull, and John said uh, he was between 340 and 380. And uh, That's a big bull. Come, he was, he was, and I, I, as soon as I seen him, I, we could see him on this other, it was right towards the end, of, I, it was literally on the 10th day we seen him, and he we'd never seen him, we'd seen a lot of other smaller bulls, Blowing a few stalks on a couple of double fives. Um, seen another decent sized bull, which I put a stalk in on, and he just disappeared. And then on, I think it was the tenth day or something, that this bull come up. Didn't even look, didn't even make a noise. He just come up and looked over because we we're watching all these other bulls, you know, uh, bugle and carry on. And, and John spotted him. He goes, "That's the bull you want to hunt, Al." Because he literally popped up over this avalanche chute, looked down on the valley, and then just walked backwards and you know, into another basin and uh, I grabbed my pack and, and spent about the next three hours trying to get right around into the next basin and I actually found him, cow called him into on the same avalanche chute, dropped my pack and then I sort of snuck off to the side knowing that he the only way he could come because it was so steep was down to where my pack was and he was looking where I was cow calling and um, I... <laughs> I literally was shooting at a 45-degree angle up with me, Black Widow Longbow, up. That's the angle that, like, he was above me, and I just didn't pick a spot and shot high through the withers on him, straight, perfect line straight up the leg or a little bit behind the leg, uh, but zipped arrow, zipped clean through him, um, footed timber arrow that I'd made up specially for this hunt. I've still got some of them here, actually. Uh, blue clean through him. Got a little bit of blood on the ground. He looked back up the avalanche chute from where the arrow clanged up on the rocks, and then he just walked out of my life forever. And I, I didn't push him enough. And I just waited there, waited till he was out of sight, and then there was like probably five drops of blood, sort of meaty blood on the ground. And yeah, I sort of followed and followed and followed for probably the next three or four hours, and never seen him again. He never made a noise. I tracked him here and there, seen no blood, and obviously he would have survived that wound because um, there's bits of fat and gristle on the on the arrow anyway, on the fletching. So, But, yeah, that was – I sort of sat there in a bit of a, geez, what a moment that was. Well, an intense moment, intense hunting situation, and, and guys, you know, probably hunted out three or four years in a row and never had that experience, what I did. Um, and here I always travel from Australia to do it. But, again, a good area, a good guide. Like, he didn't – I didn't pay him. He was just – we just hunted together, and he – he just had a good spot. Again, public land, um, but yeah, just just didn't pick a spot. And when I know that personally, when I shoot anyway, um, and I'm not blaming the angle or whatever, um, it was more I just didn't pick a spot right where I wanted my arrow to to eclipse in, in his side, in his in his hard lung region. And that I always shoot high, whether it be a 3D target here at home or whatever. I don't pick a spot and concentrate on that spot. I'll shoot high every time. Um, so well, it's, 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 it's hard yeah. when you got shit running down both legs anyway to do everything correct. And well, it's funny you should say that cause I, I still, you know, it still hangs with me that whole moment cause I've replayed it as we do over and over. 
and I was surprised on how because I think it was so drawn out from when we first spotted him and getting like took me three hours to get right around and then get up into that avalanche chute on the upton side into the basin that I sort of thought he knew he was still in. I was surprised at how calm I was, you know, and and it was just like a better matter of fact sort of situation. Like, oh yeah, here he is, and he's walking down to my cow cool. Oh, how easy is this? Oh, I'm just going to shoot this, bam, and obviously. An idiot dickhead like me didn't pick a spot, and that was the end of it. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm. People talk about you know if it happens real fast, they're calmer, or if they can watch it a while. You know, as far as animals coming in, like, um, you know, for me, if it happens real fast, I'm good, and if it's really drawn out, I'm good. If it's like happy medium, is when nerves will get to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I see a deer <laughs> pop out and I got thirty seconds to think about it, that's probably not good. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's and it's a process thing. With again, timing, timing the job, and 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 uh, I guess being in the situation, like yeah, it same like when guys go skydiving. I guess the first time they absolutely shit themselves, but once they've done it two thousand times, it's just like another day, another job to them really. So, and again, successful hunters, it's just more time in the bush and more time close to animals and and not letting getting freaked out when they're 10 meters from you and you can't draw your bow because if you do they're going to bust you so which happened to me last year anyway hunting red deer here in queensland but um yeah that's just how it is getting back to shooting i'm I'm a guy where i always have like two or three judos or blunts in my quiver anyway um no matter what sort of whether I got shooting with handmade timber arrows or wood arrows, whatever he's called them over there, or, or carbons, um, I just like to stump shoot the shit out of everything, and it just I find it just helps me immensely when I'm hunting. It, do you stump shoot or I do now, and I mean with the compound I couldn't. Um, and I destroy that. Oh yeah, I've I've made jokes about it. It's almost as good as sex being able to stump shoot because <laughs> it's so damn fun. But um, you know even. On, on a stock that's, let's say, oh, and let's say I got a mile, you know, to, to get to where I'm in that red zone. Somewhere on the way over, I'm going to fling a few. I, I've actually, because I, I um, what I do is I carry uh, judo tips in my in my pack and I'll, um, I'll pull the broadhead off and uh, take it. I'll take some shots and uh, not, not on, this isn't every time, but it, you know, I stump shoot all day long or even at camp, I'll, I'll shoot flowers or whatever sticking out, but I'll shoot a few arrows just to build up confidence, um, on the way over on the stock. If I have time, even if it takes, um, you know, let's say, uh, five minutes, uh, extra to me, the five minutes I wasted, the animal could have moved, but that increased confidence, um, you know, shooting a few arrows before that, but you get in that red zone is huge. And that is one big bonus that I, I think that people really enjoy or would enjoy is, is being able to, uh, to stump shoot or, or shoot a few arrows with no really adverse, um, uh, side to it. You, you don't blow arrows yeah. up. You're not hurting anything. So, yeah, it's, cause when I was in Africa last, I was, again, I got, we got some hay bales from God knows where we found them. Uh, but I would shoot morning, midday, afternoon, all all time. You know, I was giving the trackers my bow because they got bushmen in them. So the the bow was just, yeah, they loved it. They had smiles from ear to ear on them, like they just found a Mars bar. But um, the he, uh, I just 
from years and years now, I've just always, because I just find it, you know, keeps your shoulders in tune, keeps your eye in tune, you know, gets that form happening, um, allows you to see where your arrows are going. You go, yep, I'm still on, I'm still shooting well. And it's a confidence builder. It's not, yeah, you're not getting to an animal and all of a sudden you're all stiff because you haven't drawn your bow for two and a half days. So to me, that's just madness. I don't know why anyone would not, you know, stump shoot or practice as much as they can. Yeah, it's a big deal for, for me. And even um, if I'm having an off day uh, or, or let's say I've, I'm in the tree stand and I've, I've missed an animal and, you know, I've got a trad flag laying down there somewhere below the tree stand, I'll, I'll screw on a, a, a field tip or, a, a, excuse me, a field tip, a judo tip or a stump thumper or whatever um, and put my broadhead and I'll wrap it up in my toilet paper or something so it's not cutting my pack and I'll shoot a second arrow uh, down just to get my confidence back so I know it's not the bow, it was just me, and then and, and have a confidence booter in the tree stand. Now, I don't do that very often because if I'm doing that, that means shit has gone terribly downhill somewhere in the course of the day. But if I need to get a a, a little confidence booster, I'll, I'll wing an arrow down. or I'll, I've, I've gotten to the point, as bad as it is, um, I will bring an extra arrow in my pack, climb up in the tree, and once I get up there... I'll uh I'll drop a bomb down at something just as a confidence booster before a long sit, and it's is as stupid as that may sound to some people because there is scent on that arrow. Man, confidence in life is key to me. Like oh, if you're confident, yeah. you're good to go. Yeah, same with uh, yeah, yeah, like exactly shooting stunt whether you're stump shooting or practicing home shooting bales or. You know, you're shooting out to 60 metres just for the fun of it, and then, you know, them 40-metre shots, 30-metre shots, 20-metre shots, they're like chip shots, tick, you know, ticks in the boxes because you've done all the hard ones, and then when you bring that back in, it's the same. Like, your confidence is just through the roof. You're going, hey, I can make this. I can pick a spot. I know I'm shooting well. I'm seating in my anchor, following through, bam. And uh, it's nothing <laughs> – it's a beautiful thing. Like you said, it's like sex watching an arrow fly – perfectly exactly where you want it there's nothing more perfect than that um but or maybe a good cup of coffee i, I don't know i so. just speaking of that i just had some um <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta have caffeine in the morning or i'm not worried <laughs> shit we wouldn't be having much of a conversation if i wasn't all caffeined up um you know when you when you uh you, the, that flight of the arrow you don't you don't get that so much and people are probably tired on my my instagram page of all the slow-mo um you know, video, but I get so many hundreds of messages of keep posting them. So I try to post the, that flight. But when you can watch that arrow go through the animal, I just, you can't explain it in words or text. Nope. Nope. It's a beautiful thing. It's just, and I've always said like hunting is in man's DNA. Like, you know, whether they, the big anti hunters can, can scream and get on whatever soapbox they can find. But Hunting and fishing and being in the outdoors and that is in DNA. So when he's when you see something like that, that that's ingrained in us from you know centuries upon centuries of, of archery. And well, technically the bow was man's first weapon, you know, apart from the spear or a knife. So the the bow is cultural wide across the world, and um, it's just a beautiful thing. Like I've taught that many kids to shoot. A good mate of mine, uh, I just met his family on the weekend, and he's got a young boy. And, I'm going to offer to teach him to shoot, you know, and he's probably eight years old now. And and as I said to me, mate, Will, um, kids just love it. They just take to it like they just, you know, they they just take it like fish to a water, seeing arrows flying. All they want to do is shoot arrows all day, you know. It's just an amazing thing for – and 
it doesn't take much to, to get them hooked. The kids just love it. I've not met a kid yet that doesn't like shooting a bow. Oh yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> it, uh, you know, you always want to put your your best foot forward anytime you're presenting someone with any type of hunting. Uh, I mean, there's going to be antis no matter what. I mean, Jesus could come yeah. down if you're a religious person and say hunting is good, and they're going to say fuck you. I don't believe you. But when you talk mm. about, you know, uh, hunting in general, there is something. I mean, some people are enthralled with a compound, but uh, the primitive nature of of the stick bow when when you show that to people, it, there is an attraction to that. And I don't know if it's because when they they look in history and they see the bow, and then they see not the crazy contraption, you know, that I've uh, you know kind of got up hunting with the sights and the quiver and all the crazy stuff. They see mm. that wooden bow, and then they see the arrow fly or whatever. It's 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 an easier sell. So I hate to say sell, but you are kind of selling hunting or explaining hunting. Um, it's been easier for me, uh, to, you know, with with certain avenues between photography and the recurve. It's definitely been easier for me to trans transition people over and you're a bit of a photographer yourself and i've actually converted more people onto the hunting side of things from my photography than probably you know anything and then f that arrow flight it's amazing how many people message me from social media that fuck i have no idea who they are um yeah they have nothing to do with hunting they're just like hey uh how do i get into that like that is amazing yeah. you know it's uh and it's a yeah, and putting the and I always say to guys that, and I've always you know I've written about it in past articles and whatnot for magazines that you sort of got to have your ducks in a row and and you know have your magazine full of such with ammo um, when someone confronts you and and they say oh hey I hate hunting or, or whatever avenue they want to go down you sort of again got to have. Yeah, information to, to say, well, hang on a minute, you know, I hunt with a bow, you know, I, I take all the meat home, I, I smoke it in my smoker for my family, you know, I teach my kids bushcraft and, and, and how to be in the, in the woods and all the rest of it. Um, and I think if you portray yourself or we portray ourselves that way, it's far better than the, you know, I, I'm a redneck and I've got to shoot 18 animals and leave them on the ground and, you know, whatever. And, I, you know, as soon as you mention trophy hunting to anyone, as we know, Straight away, they're thinking of poor old Cecil the lion and slaughtering giraffes or something. But um, yeah, it's when you explain to them that you, you know you're doing it for because man, a it's man's one of man's oldest pursuits is, is that of hunting. But it also you know feeding your family like nothing. And as you know, like you've been up and hunted moose and, and the amount of meat you got off that, like you're feeding your whole family. Who who else can judge you on that and where do they get off in judging you for doing something that's so noble, ancient and, and you know, a good pastime? Yeah. I've talked to, uh, you know, many people about this because obviously you can go buy, uh, you know, beef at a store. I mean, you're not hunting to survive, but, but you certainly, uh, you know, it's not, you know what I mean? We're not, you know, back in the 1820s. I mean, you, <laughs> but it, it is a renewable resource and it's something that, I mean, personally, that's all I eat. I mean, we have hundreds of pounds we, I'm lucky enough to take a lot of animals and I, I I've gotten in a few arguments of guys saying I shoot too much and, uh, it's going to waste if I'm giving it to people, which makes really no... Some actually Peckerwood from BHA said some shit like that to me. And honestly, I wanted to just smack the fuck out of him when he said it. Because I'm <laughs> like, dude, one of the best ways for me to convert people over 
is yeah. give them wild game. And yeah, I do that. I don't give them to them, but I've got cooked for people wild game, like our venison here. And oh, then yeah. just, yeah. Well, you're yeah. right. That's, oh, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be giving anybody our dad because they're going to think, why the fuck would anybody eat this? But when you talk about <laughs> mule deer and elk and moose, yeah. um, you know, I, we have, um, well, Frank moved out not too, too long ago, but we had three deep freezers full and Frank and I consume, you know, upwards of five, 600 pounds a year pretty easily. Cause we're eating at least a pound a day, um, each. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, that, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of meat. Well, plus you yeah. have the neighbors that come by, um, and friends and we always like when we have people over that haven't eaten wild game, when they come over mm-hmm. for dinner, that's, I mean, that's what we have. Um, I don't know how many people my wife's converted over, whether she meant to or not, just because she's a hell of a cook, and then uh, you know throw it on a Green Mountain grill, and 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 they're like, yeah. "Oh my God, this is deer." Um, yeah, you know, sometimes we and don't do you, do you, we don't tell them initially, so, but we'll tell them later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've done that as well. We, uh, I've just got into the last probably twelve months um, smoking. Uh, venison and then it's by far the easier method than trying to roast it or, or whatever um, and again just jumped on YouTube and it's an information highway on there and just googling it and, and whatever but some of the cuts I've had of smoked venison from our our deer species over here is just amazing like no one talks sometimes at their dinner table because it's just too nice it uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah. we, we've got a, we got a new grow recently and it, it's a, um, I had a trigger, but I had some issues with it. So we, we ordered a green mountain and it's been great. But like yesterday, uh, we got, we went and shot three D's, um, not to tell everybody my life story, but we got home and Amy got a bunch of burger together. And then, uh, I threw it on at like maybe, uh, or she threw it on at like maybe two, two thirty, and mm-hmm. it sat, I went and did cardio and, uh, you know, fucked around the garage and, and it sat till about five thirty. Uh, oh my Lord. Um, I, I, unbelievable, even three, you know, three hours, um, roughly in the smoker, uh, just the burger yeah. goes from burger to like this little, you know, it's like a little bundle of joy. I just, and then yeah. the only problem I had is that I might, we got like, don't, don't cook too much. Cause I'll eat it like a little <laughs> fat kid and I'll eat all of it at one time. So I, but we cook enough to where I can eat it for lunch for, you know, about half the week. I, I you know, take it in to work yeah. and everything, but that no. smoker's amazing. We do the same. Well, I do the same. I got a, a Weber smoky mount and, um, it, uh, it does the same. It, it, yeah, I just, again, jumped on YouTube and typed in Weber smoky mount and there was a stack of, you know, how to's on there from, you know, pork ribs to and whatnot. And, I just followed them. It was pretty straightforward, and yeah, I think I one I might have overcooked it a little bit, um, but yeah, if you get a thermometer for it and a meat thermometer and roll with them temperatures, it's pretty straightforward. I thought, and just again, I, I would never roast a bit of venison again. I, I'm just purely smoking it now. Yeah, we we'll we'll marinate. Uh, you know, we put it in a big. I have these giant Ziploc bags and uh, like in a brine or whatever, and you'll let it sit in there for. 24 hours and then between that and then smoking it as well um you know and then we're talking about food bacon wrap backstrap um alabama right we i have all of that backstrap made into bacon wrap backstrap i i I mean yeah i truly can only get one package of that out because i'll get the meat sweats from eating too much of that um 
at one time. But, you know, generally what we'll, we'll do now that, um, especially trying to eat healthier, you know, I'll pre, you know, we'll, we'll cook, uh, enough where I can take food for the week. Um, and I try to stay like lower carb. And so, you know, like today I have, um, uh, just the, the, uh, when I say the norm, I've got some avocado and, and some greens and then I have, um, four, <laughs> I have some four smoked moose burgers and I'll just snack on those throughout the course of the day. Um, but it saves money. I mean, I saves money. I mean, hunting's expensive, but it, uh, it's a hell of a lot cheaper than going out to eat, you know, having that. And that's, oh, it, yeah. yeah, makes a big difference. Just a, a knock on effect of, I got a, I got a deer. Uh, with the rifle a while back now with my son, Mitchell. He's my adopted son. He's 10 years old. And, you know, I remember eating it and then or pulling it out of the freezer and, and, and defrosting it to smoke. And, uh, you know, for him to say to me, hey, Dad, is that um, is that the deer we shot together? Yeah, buddy, that's that's the deer we shot together. Oh, cool, cool. You know, and then we, he's helping me cut it up that night. And that whole, you know, sort of joining father-son thing and doing something. We hunted that deer, we cut it up, and, and now we're going to eat it with the family. You could just see the, you know, a bit of pride in his little chest poking out and, you know, done something cool with Dad sort of thing, and he's telling his mum how he held the deer's leg and all this sort of thing when we're cutting it up. But, um, yeah, it, uh, it, I think it's just a good a good pastime, you know. And I'm I, i don't, I'm not one of them guys to get into arguments with people. Like, and I've caught my flesh here, a flack, uh, yeah, flack, over um, social media, like you get some whack job woman from Brazil that sends you hate mail that, you know, I've killed Bambi or something. But And then you go through her feed and she's got a photo of a lion standing in the snow in, I don't know, wherever it was, northern Spain. Um, yeah, so it makes me cringe sometimes that, you know, that they, they have no idea what they're talking about. And, again, it's just information is key. It, you're right. Um, my yeah, it's my daughter who's she's 17. She's getting ready to graduate, and her final uh, on one of her finals, she did a, a basically a mm, I would have, she had a name for it, but it was a report, and she she did it on hunting um, and mm, why it was so mm. important, which made me feel like I did my job, you know, correctly. And you know, she did all this shit without asking until she was finished, meaning she didn't get. Um, like I didn't write the report for her. Uh, she just heard me so many different times talk about different things. And the one thing she had brought up is the fact you, you cannot stop time. I mean, you and I are getting older, animals get older. And for a, a an anti to, to freak out over, I mean, there's certain things even I'll freak out over for sure. Like there, obviously there's an ethical way to, to do things. Um, if a, if a deer's lifespan on average is, is uh, you know, whatever, seven years, um, you know, they can reach 10 to 12, whatever it is, um, it's going to die anyway. It might as well go to good use. Um, exactly. And, Fred Bear said, that's going to die. I'm just changing the date. So Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, and if obviously if the numbers are low, there's, there's a lot of different variables. But in the end, if the population's doing really well um, – yeah, you you might as well get something out of it. Uh, you know, you might as well use it. And 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 in my case, I, with with my daughter, like she's was raised on wild game. She she loves it. Uh, it's that introduction and trying to 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 do it the right way uh, is the most important. I mean, this is coming from kind of a knuckle dragger on my end, and I've really tried to better myself when it comes to 
getting the word out. And even if I'm at the local REI, which is like an outdoor store, a lot of the people that work there know I hunt. Um, even if it's a matter of some of the, the, the people that work there that are kind of snide to me at first, you know, I'm not just going to be a dickhead back, you know, kind of flow in. And then next thing you know, there may be a conversation my third trip in, and then I can explain it uh, a little bit better and say, hey, you know, we're, we're not what you think. I mean, uh, you know, we've had kind of a bad, get a bad rap for, for certain things. But, um, you know, even if you're a, a vegan, uh, there is, there's a, there's a footprint even, I mean, who knows how many animals were, you know, you're making, what is that shit called? Tofu? Um, how many, farm. Yeah, yeah, farming. I mean, there's a footprint no matter what. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the animal's going to, going to die anyway. And, and I changed the date, like Fred Bear said, and, and I eat it and I bring it all back and, and so on and so forth. So, I, I, it's important. It's important to me and it didn't used to be. And I'm glad that, it, you know, I've kind of changed on that to get the word out a little bit better. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think one, well, here's an example for you. My daughter, she was, oh, I think she was 16 at the time. It was just before I went to, to Africa and we're chatting away and I, she said, Oh dad, have you got time? Can we go hunting? Said, yeah, sure. So she'd been hunting with me but she hadn't shot her first deer yet so we're up on my mate's place where there's a lot of cheetle deer or axis deer as you guys call them um, is that invasive no i'm just fucking around go ahead sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> could be could be um, so the good population of in- these invasive deer um so, yeah, we uh, we went up there and I knew where they were hanging out and I, I'd been in this place before and we sort of watched them all afternoon and she'd pick one out and she'd shot it with a rifle. Great shot, one shot kill. You know, we dressed it out and took photos and whatnot and she took some of the meat home, or all the meat home. Um, she was living with her mother at the time um, and took some really good photos of it. And uh, she goes, oh, Dad, I'm going to show this around all my friends blah 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 she, typical 16 year old you know she put it on facebook and she rang me about oh and it was you know a very decent photo like all you could see was the back of the deer she's standing or sitting there kneeling down very tastefully done um just a smile on her face holding the rifle no blood or anything um and she said dad you would not believe the shit storm that photo you know it got dragged down um said it was, uh, I forget what they they got banned or something like that. I don't do Facebook at all, but she got hammered for it. And, uh, and in, her, in her words, she said, Dad, I'm sure if I was sitting there with a bikini on, it wouldn't have copped half that drama. I said, I know, sweetheart, but that's unfortunate. Social media. Um, so that was hard for her to take, you know, like a special moment in her life where she shot her first deal with her dad. And she's got all these haters, you know, and none of them step forward, mind you. They all hide behind their uh, the keyboard and the, you know, the internet. And uh, yeah, it was again the idiots that we live with, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's that is a fact. Speaking of um, idiots, we live with. Um, there's like a ton of of uh, controversy controversy in your neck of the woods, and I'm not calling uh, anybody involved with this an, an idiot other than some of the idiotic things I've heard said and posted. Um, since you're from Australia, so I think you can probably speak more intelligently about the the green tree situation than than anyone. I guess if you feel comfortable talking about it, some people are, it's like taboo. Uh, it's like Voldemort; you just don't say its name. <laughs> but uh, uh, target I, 
Oh Thank yeah, you. yeah. Don't talk about Target Panic. Uh, but I, <laughs> I noticed you posted this morning a, a podcast that that Brian uh, Gritty did with with Adam. But what's kind of the general feel of the whole Green Tree thing going on over in Australia? I mean, I know you can't speak for everyone, but I, obviously you're over there. You can speak for a lot of people. I would I would think. Well, what, what's kind yeah, of the feeling? It, mate, it's a it's a hell of a rabbit hole that one, and there's you know, and, and not to sit on the fence and not to. To say otherwise, look, it, there's, there's a lot of things Adam could have done and a lot of things Adam should have done. And, I, and I've met him a couple of times, never hunted with him. Um, and hell, he mightn't even hear this or listen to this. But I think a lot of people are fed up with, in regards to, with Adam and the whole, like, yes. And, and we all know that it's been happening for years. Um, and he's not the only one that's done it, but he's, he's, actually in that spotlight and he's, he's got some big name sponsors behind him and, and as I've always said to anyone who will listen and I think you and I had this conversation a while back that if that's your job and that's what you do then by Christ leave you know make sure the skeletons aren't in the closet and then, you know and be an upstanding citizen or, or do the right thing and don't lie and don't cheat um, that's what I'm picking up on that this just you know it, it smells really bad and it's it's and it's portrayed, and again, and I, I, I made of, I may have made that post with a little bit of uh, anger in me, or the blood pressure was up. But I'm like Brian. I don't think, yeah, he's. I don't think he's even been to Australia. If he has, he probably doesn't know our game laws here and, and what he's even talking about. I don't know whether he's done even the research on the actual court case and the good behaviour bond and all the rest of it. And as yeah, it um, just smells of. I don't know, this, just a shitty situation that Adam shouldn't have been into. And a lot of people are just tired of, you know, the whole cop Dundee, bloody Steve Irwin stuff. Like, that's not Australian. You're not, you know, that's not us. So stop portraying us. Stop giving us a bad name. There's a hell of a lot of good hunters that go out there every day in Australia, don't even have a social media account, and they just go out there and hunt because they love to hunt. They love to hunt deer. All the, all, the, all the species of deer that we got, and they follow the rules, you know. I hate pedophiles and people that beat up old people, but I don't go and blame the government because I can't go and kill them, you know, because they, it's, yeah. I, I, I um, yeah, that, I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here, but whatever. Uh, I, <laughs> that, I don't know when, I don't followed uh, um, Gritty too, too much. Just I got a lot of stuff going on, but my phone blew up, um, I think, the next day after he had posted that. And, and on one side, I really don't give a shit what Adam did. It's in your neck of the woods. You know, I don't, mm. you know, <laughs> when I say that, meaning not my pig. No, that's, yeah, that's yeah. yeah, it's not my pig, not my farm. I mean, he, he did what he did over there. And, and uh, you know, I, my early, you know, I got brought up in the podcast because the stupid squirrel, um, that I shot, um, I don't know when it was, a couple couple years ago. But I mean, I couldn't you know, believe it or not. Brian had never eaten squirrel or or knew how to skin one, so I don't know. It was like September or something, and squirrel was running around, and he'd never eaten one. I'm like, well, here I'll shoot a couple, and so we we did, <laughs> and uh, I showed him how to skin it, and we cooked it, and whatever. Uh, and then we found out. Uh, you know, this is totally my fault. Like, I was trying to Google when the season was because I thought it was in September 1st or when, when grouse season started. And we found that 
like Wyoming uh, squirrel, which is basically a mar or a, like a prairie dog type of thing, was like year round or something. And um, well, so we found that you could. I saw that it was open for falcon hunting, like falcon, like bird of prey or whatever. Yeah. You could hunt them. Yeah, you could. So I'm like, well, surely if that's open, it's open for for archery. And as it turns out, it wasn't open for a week or two. So when we got back, I'm like, shit, I'm need to. I'm I'm gonna have to fall on the sword here. And uh, I called in um, just the local game warden. He wrote me a a warning and just said, man, that the fact you called is 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 good. And and uh, and I think what Brian was trying to say was, you know, you know, if you get ahead of something and and turn yourself in, but. My thing is one: keep my fucking name out of your mouth. Don't bring me involved. Like, I don't know what Brian was thinking. Thinking it was okay. That's like, you know, you and your wife are sitting there, and you've got, as you would say, a mate come up, your buddy, and say, you know, hey, remember when you, you know, bang that whore, you know, four or five years? You just don't say that shit. Like, it say, you know, don't talk about it. Not that I'm embarrassed about what I did, but it's like, okay, well, comparing me to hunting in a national park. Uh, a shooting a squirrel. Okay, I was on National Forest season was open. Um, I guarantee I wouldn't have got a warning if I shot that squirrel in in, in fucking Yellowstone, right? I shot it, <laughs> and obviously I wasn't trying to hide it. We made a video about it, but uh, as far as whether Green Tree's guilty or not guilty or whatever, I'm staying out of that. But I had heard many years before he was famous um, from from buddies of mine over in your neck of the woods. Um, mm-hmm. before he was really famous that, you know, that was going on. And you hear that kind of stuff all the time about different people. And I kind of in one ear and out the other. Um, yeah. but comparing Ranella and what he did as a kid or, or me to what Drew had green tree had going on, I, I think was a, you know, unfair comparison just cause there is a season for pine squirrels. Uh, it is a tree rat and it was really close and it was an honest mistake. I owned up to it. Um, I, you know, I just, I don't get, I don't, maybe, I don't know. I don't know why, one, Brunel and I were brought into the mix. Two, it was compared to hunting in a national park. And then some of the other things that were talked about on that podcast just didn't make sense to me. Um, you know, as far as the analogies he was, is, is making. And uh, at Kafaru, we've kind of been at the, from the moment we found out what was going on a while ago, well, all we wanted it was a statement from Adam, you know, because we had hooked him up with some packs maybe a year or, or more ago. And then when we kind of yep. found out what was going on, we, we cut ties. And I don't know Adam from Adam and Eve. I don't I talked to him once on the phone uh, a few months ago and just said, hey, sorry, man, but we're going to have to cut ties. Um was a statement, right? Like, can can you mm-hmm. can you just make a public statement of what's going on? Um, and, and I, I understand it's his choice. He didn't want to, I really don't give a shit. You know, obviously if, if he follows the rules over here, that's what we want. But I, I don't, I don't know what, what has he, has he done a lot for bow hunting in Australia? Well, that's, that's the thing, mate. Like, again, this is just my opinion, uh, valid is what it is. And if Adam was to get in touch with me, I'll tell it to him, to his face, it, uh, if he would, if he was just to spend as much energy and, and and effort and and time and money in trying to better our laws instead of doing the wrong thing and, and maybe trying to hide it, which seemed like he was hiding it, uh, you know, I'm the first to admit our, our 
our hunting laws here are, are dated, well dated, behind America and even Africa and New Zealand. Um, try and better them, you know, like try and promote Australia and, and, and try and do that for us, mate. And then rather than, you know, trying to be a, you know, the next bloody big star in America, though, yeah, it's just, and again, this is not us, you know, we're, most of us over here are pretty laid back, you know, quiet guys, want to do a bit of hunting. Yep, we've probably got social media accounts and put our successes on there to a degree and maybe photos of flowers or some shit, I don't know, but. Christ's sake, like, just be a bit more humble and, and, you know, probably do something for the Australian hunting community. And when was the last time, you know, turned up and done a decent thing at one of our hunting or shooting expos or or got on board with some of our hunting brands or, or guys that are struggling here with, you know, everyday stuff to try and be in the market? You know, it's America's not the be-all and end-all of, of, of bow hunting. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that's his choices and he's made those choices and he has to live with them. So whatever blowback happens, happens, I guess. it's um, And I, another angle that I'm hearing, like you asked, um, is guys are just fed up with people not taking account of their actions. Like, you know, when you're five years old, you want to blame everyone else. But, you know, when you sort of get to teenage years and beyond, you, you put your hand in the air and you go, yeah, I'm a dickhead, I fucked up. And... Um, I accept that, and I'll try and unfuck that for next time. Yeah, yeah and that's that's just a level of maturity. Because again, we all do stupid shit when we're young. But you tend to grow out of that, or you're just a fool. So, yeah, and you can imagine. Obviously, I've had just about every court document sent to me because everyone, and I say everyone, that's an overstatement. A lot of people wanted me to to talk about the Green Tree situation uh, before. <laughs> <laughs> the great 20-minute mm. Gritty Bowman section. After that, <laughs> oh, Christ on a cracker. It My yeah. phone has just gone apeshit, and I messaged Brian. I'm like, dude, hey, I, I'm not, like, super pissed, but what were you thinking? Like, man, don't don't bring me in this. And he was like, hey, I didn't mean anything by it. And again, I'm like, you know, I, I would have hoped you would at least got my permission to say, hey, do you mind if I use this as an example? And he didn't. And you know what? Um, not everyone is as clean as they would like to portray. Um, and and, and that we all make dumb mistakes. I'm obviously talking about current situations. Um, and I think that people need to really think about that in the sense if you're going to, you know, promote conservation and, you know, do podcasts about poaching and everything else, you, you know, you better be, uh, your asshole better be pretty wired tight. Um, I'm a crazy fucker and I don't think that, uh, anybody would, would, would meet me and think any differently. Like I'm pretty wild and I, I will stretch the far edge of the legal limit of the law to, to take an animal and I'll be the first to admit it. I, I'm going to do everything I can within legal uh, methods and sometimes I'll be pushing that edge and it just happens. Meaning, um, uh, you know, when you talk about pushing the, the, the ragged edge, people think, oh my God, well, you know, you talk about sun up and sundown, okay? Yeah, I'm going to push that to the final minute. Uh, and that's just how I, every hunter I know is is going to do things like that. I, I mean, obviously, you don't want to go, oh, it was only 30 minutes past. I mean, 30 minutes is a long, <laughs> long time. But, um, you know, you, there's certain – God, how would I – I've always looked at it this way. You have three different types of people that, that break the law in hunting. You have the guy that uh, – it. Uh, purposefully crosses the border into a state park. He knew that day when he went out, he was going to break the law. 
you have the next guy that didn't have any intention, but when it was brought up, his immediate answer was, I'm breaking the law, and I, meaning you see an animal on the wrong side of the fence, you have, you know, whatever, it pops up, he has the choice, and immediately he breaks the law, and then you have the guy that's just stupid and breaks the law. You know, those are kind of the three ways I look at it. If if you break the law and you, you unknowingly and kind of own up to it, um, you can't. I can't really fault the guy for that. You can fault him, but it's not that really not that big of a deal to me. You know, it's you were an idiot. You fucked up. It happens. But that first one, um, you know, in the case of 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 everything with like with going on, if that was the case with with Adam. Um, and I'm not saying it was or wasn't. I, it's just saying if if he purposely bought that land to to, to go into the state park, the, you know that's not where people are saying accidents happen. That's mm. not a fucking accident. <laughs> I mean, an accident's it's when you step on your wife. Yeah, that's premeditated. When you step on your wife's foot, or you know what I mean, like you. Oh, I spilled coffee. That's an accident. If you buy property on the border, that's not that's not an accident. And from what everyone's told me that I've talked to, which is probably in that 50, 60 Australians uh, have said he he had been doing it for many, many years um, in many, many different areas. Um, and you've kind of confirmed you've heard the same thing. Now, obviously, yeah, evidence or whatever. Again, I'm trying to stay out of it. It's just hopefully those two chuckle puppets leave my name out of shit from here on out. Um or I'll be forced. Yeah. I may be forced to fire some rounds over the bow of their fucking boat. <laughs> well, no such thing as a warning shot, mate. Yeah, yeah. first one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But on a on a brighter side of things, before this podcast turns into a a shit show, what do you got going on for this uh, for this year? Anything um, a hunt wise booked yet? Yeah, nothing serious booked. I got. We've just moved home, and I've yeah, I'm up in the northern edges of Brisbane, and the. And we've got pretty good deer populations uh, happening around my place for red deer. So that'll be me in the next couple of weeks. It's coming into our rut here. So, um, yeah, I'm heading out this week actually with a couple of lads. Then I've got a few duties around home and whatnot. And then I'll be probably trying to get out every sort of chance I get within the next month. And then I've got a, a few offers to head down south and then, hopefully get down to Herbie's place, Rob Herbert, who's knocking around your knives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, go and, go and catch up with him and hopefully get an arrow into a Samba and, and, and do that sort of thing. And Just got to watch Herbie touches me inappropriately when no one's around. So He mentioned <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, thank God uh, we're all cut from the same cloth because, man, some of the shit he sends me, I, I get a... <laughs> I kick out, but I'm not a messenger or a texter so much. So my initial, which you figured out, I'm like, hey, just call me. Where I, he's busy, so I don't ever want him to to call too much because he's he's busy making knives for us. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I was trying to get him to do a podcast, but he's coming over here, and I think I'm just coming back. I'm gonna miss him being here by a few days but he'll be be here a few days on his trip, and we're gonna knock yeah. out a, a podcast while he's here, which will be cool. Yeah, no, Rob is a good lad. He's got a hell of a lot of experience hunting-wise. And, and when he left, and I'm not trying to speak for him too much, but when he left the uh, the police force down in Victoria, he went and worked for one of their game councils or something to that effect and then, you know, worked a fair bit of involvement in that. And then just he's been in that part of the world down in that southern Australian sort of zone 
all his life, so he knows a lot of people, and uh, yeah, there's, he knows a fair bit about deer hunting, and knows a, a lot of guys. And he's where his block is that where he hunts is, is, yeah, in a special part of Australia in regards to to samba deer. So um, yeah, like I said, you just got to be careful when you get up in the morning and he's naked standing beside you. I don't know why that would creep anyone out. But, um, <laughs> I tell you, he looks like he's built like a brick shit house. Uh, he looks like he's a, a um, large and in charge. He seems like a stout feller. <laughs> yeah, he can destroy a packet of Tim Tams, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he. Uh, I got a little bit of flack from a few different uh, Americans. I was surprised about, hey, why are you having, you know, him build the knives? And um, it's pretty simple. He's a cool fucking guy. Um, he makes a hell of a product. He does. He does, and I've. I think I've I've got one of his knives, which I've then sold on to someone else that wanted it more. But I've, I've got a few of his knives for different mates of mine. A couple I've sent to Africa. Um, we have a plan to make a few for me when we finally get around. If not, make it 400 knives for Kafari. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he knows what he's doing. Like he's he's a professional knife maker, and, and but he, the thing I like about Herbie is he's just. Um, He's old school. Like, if you say to him, you know, a handshake deal on, mate, can we do this? Then he generally stands, well, as far as I know, he hasn't done anything otherwise, but he stands behind his name and, and he's a handshake sort of guy. Um, and you would have seen that, you know, just doing business with him anyway. But, um, oh, yeah, it was all a handshake agreement with what we had. And then we sold them all <laughs> overnight. Um, so I'm like, yeah, well, dude, we got to do another limited run. Yeah, he was just sitting back counting his dollars, about to buy that yacht to go to freaking New Zealand or somewhere on, but uh, yeah, he, uh, makes <laughs> I felt bad. We we paid him with a check, which I didn't even think about, and he's like, hey, can you do whatever? I'm like, well, we mailed a check off, and I could there was like a silence there. I could tell where he's like, fuck, I'm not going to get paid for three weeks after I get the check, so this, <laughs> this go around, we're going to do an electronic transfer, because... Uh, you know that the knife. I kind of how that all started is I used um, a few. Uh, SE makes an Azula, which I like, which is a good knife. And there was a few other lightweight knives, and we used the the Taito interchangeable knife for a lot of the, you know, work with the animal. But um, sometimes you just can't do shit with that that you can with a fixed blade. And I saw what he offered, and he sent me a couple samples. And the moment I got that helium, I'm like, yeah we're going to have to do something with this. And that's when I asked him like, Hey, can you, uh, uh, you know, make these for, for Kafaru? And, uh, you know, then it went from there and the ones literally sold out in 24 hours. And I think it was 150. And so we ordered different colors this go around. And I think we'll have them in a, a week or two. I know he told me he can't jerk off for a week from wrapping 550 quarter <laughs> around the handle. So, um, I think he's getting yeah. close to finished. Yeah, he'd be back to normal, normal helping himself there. But uh, that the helium blade, like I've sent a couple into Africa as well, and I've got I'm looking at two now. One's mine, one's my wife's. I've got another one underneath my bino harness. I've got a, a QU bino harness. I strapped it underneath that. Fits perfect there. Um, they're just good, handy little blades. But then ones, I'm pretty jealous because the ones he's sending over to you, that tiger stripe, man, they're looking. They're looking the goods. Like I showed my wife one today. I think Kafaru put it up on their Instagram feed, and um, my wife, you know, she's a typical woman, even though she likes honey. You've seen the uh, one of the tiger stripe on the 
like the darker model one, and she goes, oh, I like that one. Tell Rob I want one of them. I was like, oh, right, eh? Okay. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, they're something else. They look the goods. And then I just know that Rob had a bit of drama trying to get the Kafara in with the tiger stripe so it didn't sort of disappear. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, they're a hell of a good-looking knife, and I know the steel's quality well, that's what, with the steel, um, you know, for me, that's the big one. Uh, you know, as far as he was asking me some questions and I'm like, dude, you're way better at this than I am. If it looks good to you, don't worry about <laughs> yeah. me. I mean, send a final photo, but if it's good to you, he's way more anal retentive on that shit. I'm the last guy to ask. I can barely fold my clothes. And when I say that, my wife does it like I'm, I'm not like, I'm a function guy, not a form guy. And so I'm like, hey, if it passes muster for you, I'm good, man. You know, yeah, send me something for approval because he's way anal retentive when it comes to to his craft, um, far more than than I am. I'm like, oh, is it sharp? Ah, right, yeah, good. Give it, send it over. So I'm I'm glad he's obviously as anal as he is because those knives came out pretty badass. Yeah, and I, I just I just know the work that he's put in. I'm like Herbie and I probably speak. Oh, couple of times a week via messenger or phone or something or other and um, I just know the efforts he's put into them and yeah they're, they're something else I guarantee they won't stay around long on the shelf um, and I was quite surprised actually I looked in on the Kafari website and you guys do a lot of stuff different like knives and t-shirts and all that sort of stuff and you know obviously your packs and, and I, I see your sleeping bags and your, your shelters and yeah I was I knew you'd done a lot of that stuff, but again, because not much of a reach is here in Aussie, I was a bit not taken back, but I thought, oh, they've got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, so the knife will be a good, you know, a good uh, addition. Yeah, and we're actually working on a uh, exclusive Kafaru knife that that um, uh, one of my guys here is, whereas Robert and and me, which is pretty much all Robert, we just kind of shake our heads and say, yeah, that looks good. But uh, a custom, actual true custom Kafaru knife that we we designed, uh, and that's kind of in the works. And I'm super excited about that. Just um, I I like that helium, and uh, you could use that as a do-all knife without bringing like an interchangeable blade. But I wanted mm. to carry a, a Taito, an interchangeable blade knife, because I'm lazy and I don't like to sharpen when I'm working on an animal. But I mm-hmm. wanted a little bit bigger, beefier um, knife for my for my pack. But I wanted it to be lightweight, and so um, yeah, like I say, Robert, but Herbie, uh, Herbie went to town, and uh, yep. he started working on a bunch of different um, uh, custom patterns and sent them over to us. I think we'll have them this week to, to kind of approve. So I'm excited about that as well. Yeah, yeah, for cool. I may or may not have seen them, but I can't let the cat out of the bag yet. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, there you go. Oh, Lord. Well, man, um, we're working on an hour and a half here. I probably should go back to work and let you go to bed. What time is it over there now? It's uh, a bit after 10 p.m. In the, in the evening. Gotcha. Well, man, I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on here, and we'll have to uh, circle back and do another one here after uh, some of your seasons go through. And, and uh, we really didn't even talk. Only about half of this was about hunting and tell more hunting stories or lie about them, one or the other. Yeah, no, that's um, that's all good, man. I uh, actually, Rob and I are talking about coming over next year again. So, yeah, we could obviously we'll be chatting way before then. But um, yeah, just getting back to talking about Rob, and he'd be handy to have on a podcast. But if we'd have both come over, by all means, mate. The the two of us, yeah, holding hands and in the kafaro with um, a gay pride flag, be pretty good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, that'd be that'd be awesome, and we'll definitely all have to link up at some point and try and go on a on a hunt together, maybe to to Landers or something. Um, in fact, yeah, yeah. you know, that'd be oh. good because Rob and Lander are built about the same. They're probably about the same age. It'd be like two walruses <laughs> kind of trying to flop off a rock. We could watch those two <laughs> wrestle in the front yard. Yeah, let's throw a big can at them or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's, just quickly before we wrap it up, what's your plans, mate? You going to try and get down here for a look around or what? Ah, man, at some point we actually that New Zealand hunt we had planned with Stacy. Uh, year before last or last year, I guess, um, we didn't end up getting to go on. And then this year, the schedule was so tight with, um, bear hunts we booked. We actually have two guys, uh, friends of ours that are going over there with, with, uh, Stacy, which is, I th- is it New Zealand? You know who Stacy is? New Zealand trophy hunting safari or something like that, maybe? No, I don't know. Sorry. I'm, when I say yeah, not- o- over there, meaning not obviously Australia, but New Zealand, um, but man, I, I wouldn't mind going over to Australia just to hang out with you guys and uh, you know shoot the shit. I'm a big fan of of uh, Swazi anyway, um, and yep. uh, you yep. know I should kind of do a round trip and stop by and see Davy, that crazy bastard, and then um, you know go fling <laughs> some arrows at something. Yeah, well, New Zealand's a quality place to visit. Swazi's freaking awesome gear. Um, yeah, they're very unsung in the in the hunting world. Not so much in Australia, New Zealand, but um, yeah, they're sort of fly underneath the radar. But it's it's good shit. I've worn it for years, um, and as I know, you have as well. Um, but yeah, mate. Well, I mean, always more than welcome, as you know. But uh, just let us know. We'll line something up, mate. And even if it's just talking shit in uh, Rob's workshop, watching your knives get built or something. But yeah. See, then I could chalk it up to. See, you're a thinker. Uh, I could chalk I it up to work. We can all go hang out at Rob's. I can write it off. And then um, magically we need to test out the knives on animals. So we'll go hunting at the same time. Yeah, I'm sure we could, you know, murder some penguins or something, you know. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. Are those invasive too? <laughs> yeah, they're invasive. Yeah, they got a season, but you can club them. <laughs> no shit. I'd like to see Rob running around chasing after a penguin and trying to whack it in the head. That'd be definitely YouTube worthy. <laughs> Yeah. Good lord. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think they'd appreciate us clubbing their penguins. They'd probably uh, draw the line. I'm probably going to say, yeah, they, uh, I think uh, between clubbing a penguin and then hunting in a national park, I'm not sure which would be worse. I'd yeah, fuck, probably we'll, clubbing a penguin, I would bet. Yeah, we'd, be in, we'd be in just as much trouble, if not more. But yeah. uh, I think Australian hunters have got a bad rap at the moment, so hopefully we'll fucking tidy that up shortly <laughs> yeah no shit oh lord well brother i appreciate you coming on go smack uh no smack robert for me don't let him touch you inappropriately and uh, we'll talk <laughs> soon good on you man catch you mate later